When Peter met the Lord, he left the boat and started fishing for men. I may not be Peter or Paul, but one thing I can truly say, when I met the Lord and made him my choice, he definitely made a change. He made a change in the way that I'm walking. He made a change in the way that I'm talking. Old things pass away. Behold, everything's new. He made a change. He made a change in the way that I'm living. Born again, set free, finally forgiven. He can make a change in me. He can make a change in you. seen some old friends shaking their head cause they never thought they'd see the day when a sinner like me would praise the lord bow his head to pray i'm not what i used to be one thing i can truly say when i met the lord and made him my choice he definitely made a change let's all stand. Aren't you glad he made a change in your life one day? How many of you did he make a change in your life? Totally. Totally transformed. Did what nobody else could do. Isn't that great? That's one of the reasons we rejoice today. We are glad that you are here. If you are visiting, this may be one of the most unusual services that you've ever been in your life. Everything is different Everything, we do everything different today because you're going to learn a little bit why. And many of you are new members. This is all new to you. You have no idea. You've been hearing about it for weeks, but you're unsure. You don't know what's going on, what's about to happen, whatever. But I promise you, this is a different kind of a service. But I thought this morning, of all days, of all services, that God's people ought to be in a spirit of worship and a spirit of joy and celebration and rejoicing it's a day like today amen i mean this is a something to rejoice about and to honor the lord in so i want us to worship today i want you just to enjoy all that goes on uh, the music gonna have plenty of music today and a lot of things but i just want you to enjoy yourself and i want you to open your heart up to all that the lord has for us and ask the Lord to lead you and guide you and speak to you. But let's just pray that God will just glorify himself. Let's have all the men that will come. We serve a mighty God. And we serve a wonderful Lord. He's able to do exceeding, abundantly, 
above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Do you realize that the same power that raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that can be operative in your life this very day? So let's open our hearts to a living Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, what a joy it is to come to the house of God. And what a special joy it is to assemble here this day to be able in a certain expression to say thank you for changing us. Lord, through a certain expression in this service to be able to express our love to you, our love for what you've done for us, our love for the church, our love for the work of God, our love for the things of God, but most of all, our love for you, for we know that all that we have is because of you. So I pray the blessed Spirit of God would have free course in this service. And I pray that you be honored and magnified and that every soul from the youngest to the oldest would be blessed by what you do today. Put our eyes upon you, be exalted, be magnified in every heart. Let us indeed worship you in spirit and in truth. So bless this service today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing the little chorus, Praise the Name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. In Him will I trust. Praise the again all together ready now fellowship one with another. Welcome our visitors today.
seated as I said this service is different the order is different so I want you to be finding your get in your Bible second Chronicles 24 right after the song
I want you to take God's word and be find in 2 Chronicles 24, the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 24. I have such a long message today, I'm going to start early. No, it's just the order of service today. And I think sometimes we ought to just reverse everything once in a while. We get in such a rut how we do things. But uh, no, this is our chest of Joash Sunday. Now, what do we mean by the chest of Joash? I want us to look in the scripture. Would you stand, please, as we honor the reading of his word in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 24. And we find a wonderful, wonderful story of giving. Today is a service of giving. This is a great day, a good day. Verse 1, 2 Chronicles 24. The scripture said that Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name also was Zabiah of Beersheba. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Now I put brackets around, around that phrase, all the days of Jehoiada the priest. As long as Jehoiada the priest lived, then he did which was right. But I would, and you find it later that he transgressed. But I just put uh, in brackets there and emphasize in my heart that I and we should live for God no matter who else is living for God. Amen. But verse 4, look at the verse 3. And Jehoiada took for him two wives, and he begat sons and daughters. And it came to pass after this that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord. And he gathered together the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out into the cities of Judah and gather of all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year. See that you hasten the matter, howbeit the Levites hasten it not. And the king called for Jehoiada the chief and said unto him, Why hast thou not required of the Levites to bring in out of Judah and out of Jerusalem the collection? according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the congregation of Israel for the tabernacle of witness. For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken up the house of God, 
And also all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord did they bestow upon Balaam. And at the king's commandment they made a chest and set it without at the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation throughout through Judah and Jerusalem to bring in to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, laid upon Israel in the wilderness. And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and brought in and cast into the chest until they had made an end. Now it came to pass that at what time the chest was brought under the king's office by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money, the king's scribe and the high priest officer came and emptied the chest and took it and carried it to his place again. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. And the king and Jehoiada gave it to such as did the work of the service of the house of the Lord and hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord and also such as wrought iron and brass to mend the house of the Lord. So the workmen wrought and the work was perfected by them and they set the house of God in his state and strengthened it. And when they had finished it, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada, whereof were made vessels for the house of the Lord, even vessels to minister and to offer withal, and spoons and vessels of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. Thank you. you may be seated. This is a story that we are very, very familiar with here at Temple Baptist Church. It is a story that has been the basis of many, many accomplishments over the past seven years, maybe six years. I'm not sure exactly how many years we've done this. But this story has helped us as a church to do things that we had talked about and dreamed about. And this story has been a blessing to us in a very, very special way. So this is a very, very special story in my heart for it has been the basis of many, many accomplishments. Let's pray. And today I'll share with you three simple little things about the chest of Joash. Let's pray. Father, this morning in Jesus' name, we look back over previous years and think of how this story has inspired our hearts to do things and to give, Lord, in a measure that maybe we'd not been used to or accustomed to doing so. But, Father, we look back over the past years and we thank you for what you've done. We rejoice at, uh, rejoice at the things that have been accomplished as a result of this story and how that it has touched our hearts. We look to you once again to ask you to take the story today and I pray that you'd work it into our hearts and that we'll learn something about a very, very important part of our life as a child of God. Lord, something that will help us to grow, something that will be an expression of glorifying your name today. So bless the story once again to all of our hearts and open our hearts now through the story and we'll thank you and praise you for it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think about a story I read one time about a little girl in church with her mother and the little girl began to feel ill and so she looked up at her mother and says, Mother, is it about time to go? And the mother said, no, 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 no. You sit there and be quiet. And the little girl said, but mommy, I feel like I'm about to throw up. And so the mother said to her, said, just go, get out of your seat, go out the front of the church, go around the back of the building and throw up behind a bush. And so the little girl got up and left and she hadn't been gone about 60 seconds and she came back and sat down and her mother said, did you throw up? She said, yes. And the mother said, how in the world did you go all the way out the front of the church and then all the way around the back of the building and throw up and then come all the way back and be here in such a short time? And the little girl said, oh, I didn't have to go outside. I went out in the lobby and I noticed there was a box there that said, for the sick. Some of you will catch that in a little while. Well, I want to talk to you today about a box. You're just now getting that. I, it's a slow day. Amen. But I want to talk to you about a box. It's a chest, called a chest here in the Word of God. And it is a box that was prepared, as we'll notice in just a moment, for the purpose of putting money in it. Now, I realize this morning as we gather here that 
A lot of times people's attitude is that I don't want to go to church and be preached to about giving. But I want to go on record this morning and say that I do not apologize in any way, fashion, or form, as I said this past Wednesday night, for preaching on the matter of giving. I don't flinch back down. I do not apologize. I do not blush to stand here this morning and talk to you about the matter of giving. And as you are members, you know that. And you new members, it don't take you long to find that out. In fact, I think about one of our new members, Mike West. He's sitting back here. He told me Wednesday night, walked up to me, and he told me this story. He said about some little girl that had swallowed a quarter. And she went to the doctor, and the mother told the doctor, said, my little girl swallowed a quarter. And Mike said, the doctor said, take him over there to Ken Trivet. He can get money out of anybody. Amen? <laughs> so it don't take you long to find out. But I don't apologize because the Bible has much to say about giving. One-sixth of the Gospels deals with the matter of money. One-third of the parables in the Bible deals with the matter of money. In the book of Matthew, Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses deals with the matter of money. Jesus had a lot to say about money matters because money matters. And then really when Jesus talked about a man's money and his relationship to his money, he is really dealing with the issue of lordship. Because I believe one of the battlegrounds of our life is our money. And whether Christ will be first of our money. Whether Christ will be Lord of our money. And so Jesus knew, as we all know, that if God gets our money, that is an indication He's got everything about us. And so the Lord had much to say about money. And again, He had much to say about money matters because money matters. I think about a survey that I read about. This was a survey taken a number of years ago, about 17 years ago, back in 1983. And I'm sure the figures would be different in the year 2000, but I think the results would probably be about the same. But in 1983, there was a survey done that found that the U.S. that U.S. churchgoers had donated 21.5 billion dollars. As in 1983, U.S. churchgoers had donated 21.5 billion dollars. But it was also found that if they had given 10 percent, they would have given 134 billion dollars. Again, let me say that if they had given 10%, they would have given $134 billion versus $21.5 billion. Ron Blue, the noted author and financial counselor, once made the statement that if every Christian was reduced to poverty level, if everybody that claims to be a child of God and goes to church and gives, if they were all reduced to poverty level and then begin to tithe, then the offerings would more than double in the church. What he was indicating and insinuating by that statement is that many believers do not give as God so commands them to give. I was in a church this past Friday. I had one of the staff members I had got some books for, so I went down and spent the biggest part of the day with the staff and the pastor and different things, and they showed me around, and every, they let me meet everybody and whatever. And we got to talking, and I was talking to one of them, and they shared with me how that in this year alone, at the end of 1999, their offerings were averaging $150,000 a week. Again, at the end of 1999, their offerings were averaging at $150,000 a week. But in January, they began on Wednesday night a, a class on stewardship. They do a lot of training on Wednesday night, have a lot of classes and different things on different subjects and whatever. And so in January of this year, they began a study on stewardship and giving from, from a biblical perspective and how a believer should approach his giving. And they share with me that since January the 1st, that their offerings have increased from $150,000 a week to over $300,000 a week. Now, all of that tells me that many believers have never really got a grip on giving from a biblical perspective. Well, the story before is in 2 Chronicles 24, as I said a moment ago, is a wonderful story of giving. 
It is a wonderful demonstration of giving. And it's a basis of what we'll be doing in just a little while. Now, I want to point out three things about the story. Three simple little things today. Jot them down and listen to them carefully. First of all, I want you to notice from the story where they gave. Now, it's a story of giving. We read it a moment ago. And we see them giving. And I want you to notice where they gave. Here's an offering that has been received. But notice in verse 8 where they gave. You see, first of all, in verse 8, a chest that was prepared to receive the offering. Verse 8 said, And at the king's commandment, they made a chest. You find a chest that was prepared to receive the offering in verse 8. Now, the word chest that is used there is sometimes translated in the Bible as an ark, the ark of God. The ark of God that sat in the tabernacle was, you might say, a chest, not a complete square, but it was a wooden chest, a certain type of wood that had been overlaid within and without a pure gold and had all the decorative work to it and whatever there. But in essence, it was a box or a chest, a sacred chest and a sacred box. Sometimes the word is translated in the Bible as a coffin. In Genesis 50, or rather the last chapter of Genesis, it talks about how they put the bones of Joseph in a coffin. So when the Bible here tells us that the king's commandment, that they prepared a chest to receive an offering, what they simply did was they made a box. It might look like a coffin. It might have looked like an ark. I believe it looked like something similar to what is sitting down here this morning. No doubt a little bit bigger, but it was basically a box. But the king, here Josiah, he ordered that there be a chest prepared to receive an offering in verse 8. But second of all, in verse 9 and 10, you see not only a chest prepared, but a chest that was provided. For you notice in the latter part of verse 9, or verse 8, at the king's commandment, they made a chest, they prepared a chest, and then they provided it for the people to receive the offering. And they set it without at the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation through Judah and Jerusalem to bring into the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, laid upon Israel in the wilderness. So there was a need there. We'll examine in just a moment. But first of all, there was this chest that was built. It was a chest prepared by Joash and then provided by Joash to receive an offering from the people of God. That's where they gave. But here's the second thing, and this is the heart of the story. Not only where they gave, but why they gave. Now, why is it now that they're doing this unusual thing of receiving an offering in a coffin or a box or a chest? Why are they doing this? What is behind the offering that is being received in 2 Chronicles 24? Well, there are two reasons I find in the story. One, they received the offering to repair the house of God. Look at verse 4. The Bible said it came to pass after this that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord. You notice in verse 5 that they were to go out in the cities of Judah and gather of all Israel money to repair the house of your God. Verse 15, or rather verse 12, the Bible said they hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord. And also such as wrought iron and brass to mend the house of the Lord. So the purpose and the reason they built this chest, Joash had this chest prepared and provided to receive an offering. The reason was to repair the house of God. Now the reason the house of God needed repairing, you see in verse 7, for the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken up the house of God and also the dedicated things of the house of the Lord did they bestow upon Balaam. Now, Athaliah, the Bible here describes as a wicked woman. So if the Bible called her wicked, she is a pretty mean lady. But she is a wicked lady. In fact, we read about Athaliah and learn about her. Uh, she come from a wicked family. Her mother and daddy was Ahab and Jezebel. And when you think about Jezebel, you think about the epitome of wickedness. Well, here is Jezebel's daughter, and she's following in her mother's footsteps. And not only does she follow in her mother's footsteps, but her children, uh, Jezebel's grandchildren, even follow in their grandmother and mother's footsteps. We read in verse 7 that it was the sons of Athaliah that they had broken up the temple or the house of God. When it talks about the house of God, it's talking about the temple, their place of worship. And they had broken up the house of the Lord. That is, their sons, or her sons, I should say, Athaliah's sons, had ransacked and pillaged 
and left the temple, that blessed structure to, Je to the Jewish people, they had left it in shambles. They'd come through there like firemen, just tearing everything up and had taken everything out and just left everything in shambles. A building that had been built to honor God, a magnificent structure that had been erected in honor to God. You find that the sons of Athaliah just went through and ransacked it and pillaged it and just left it in shambles. Well, you notice in verse 13, that's the reason they received the offering. Josiah began to be disturbed about the matter. Years had gone by since this had occurred. And the house of God, the brass was turning, uh, was rusty and, and things were, the paint was peeling, you might say, and things were just being ignored. That building set apart in honor to God. And so Josiah said, no, I've got to do something about it. So he sent out the order to bring in the tithe like they were supposed to be doing as Moses had so commanded them, the Levites, the collectors of that tithe. Uh, you could see some about their spiritual condition. They drugged their feet. And so finally Joash said, no, if you're not going to do anything about it, I'll do something about it. And so he had a chest built and he put that chest there and they received an offering in it. Look at verse 13 in a very interesting statement that is made. He wanted to repair, he wanted to mend the house of God. And the Bible said the workmen wrought, that is, they worked and the work was perfected, completed by them. And notice this, they set the house of God in His state. Now, I understand, underscore that for just a moment. It does not say its state. But the Bible said that Josiah, that he restored the house of God to His state. Not to Josiah's state but to God's state. Why? This was called over and over again. It's already been called the house of the Lord. This was God's building. This was God's house. And it was the house of God that had been ransacked. It was the house of God that had been pillaged. It was the house of God that had been left in shambles. But Josiah brought it back to his state. In other words, Josiah restored it to a condition that was fitting for God. He restored the house of God to a condition that was reflective of the God that they served. He brought it back into a state that it looked like a building and it was a building of such a beauty and attractiveness that it was a testimony to the God that Josiah served. And the Bible said he strengthened it also in verse 13. That is, he even made it better than what it was. This was God's house and Josiah wanted to bring it into his state. He wanted to bring it into a condition that would bear testimony to the God that indwelt that building. Now, I want to remind you this morning, and I want to just meddle for just a moment. Would that be all right? You know I'm going to meddle whether it's all right or not, but I just thought maybe it'd help you if I got permission from you. But I want to meddle for just a moment. I want to say to you this morning, I want you to understand very, very clearly, uh, these properties that we have here, valued at over $3 million, all of these properties that we have here, I want you to understand something. They don't belong to us. These buildings do not belong to Ken Driver. They do not belong to you. They do not belong to the congregation of Temple Baptist Church. They belong to God. We have been merely put here as a steward and a manager of God's property on the earth. And God used us through our giving to have what we have. But it all belongs to Him. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's not ours. It is God's. Everything here belongs to God. Temple Baptist Church, every iota is His. It all belongs to God. And I want to say because it does belong to God, then that ought to change our attitude about how we look at these properties here. It ought to affect the attitude that we have about the buildings. It ought to affect the attitude that we have about the grounds. It ought to affect the attitude about how we do things, what we put in here, and how we take care of things here. Why? Because they're God's. And I believe, I believe this all in my heart, that what we do and how we treat the property of God and how we take care of it is a, reflective, is re, is a reflection of our attitude about God. If you have a low view of God, then you won't care what you do. If you have a low view of God, then you'll write the song books. If you have a low view of God, then you'll put chewing gum on the bottom of the pews. I said I was going to meddle for a moment, and that's what I'm doing. And I said, if you got a low view of God, then you'll carve your name in the back of the pews. If you have a low view of God, then you'll drop paper on the floor. If you have a low view of God, then you'll spill something on it and walk off and never even try to clean it up. If you have a low view of God, then you won't care how you take care of the, of the house of God. But if you have a lofty view of God, 
If he's a God worthy of praise, a God that is worthy of your love, and a God that is worthy of your affection, a God that was good enough to save you out of hell, and a God big enough to give you a heavenly home, and if you have a lofty view of God, then it'll change how you treat the buildings that belong to God. Can I get an amen right there? If I drop a piece of paper, I'm going to pick it up. If I find a piece of paper, I pick it up. If I spill something on these properties, I don't run off and leave it there to leave a stain. I get it up. Why? These buildings belong to God. And how we take care of these buildings reflect how we feel about our God. It always bothered me. Always bothered me. Um, you know one of my pet peeves. I think things ought to look good. And to the best of our ability, I think they ought to look good. Why? Our God's good. Our God is a great God. Here we are trying to tell this world of ours that we have a wonderful God, a God that you need in your life, and then we treat him like he's a spare tire in our life. No, 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 no. I think we ought to do everything we can to make God's property right. We ought to do everything we can to make God's property look good because it's God's property. Can I get an amen there? Stick your hand up and wave at me, would you? Fine, all right, great. Uh, my conviction is unclean buildings are a shame to the God that we serve. Unkempt buildings are a shame to the God that we serve. Unattractive buildings are a shame to the God that we serve. Now I realize that it's more than a building. I realize that. Some folks meeting in storefronts, some meeting in, in uh, hotel lobbies or uh, rooms and whatever. I know people sometimes are limited in what they can do, but to the best of our ability and to the best of our means, we ought to see to it that there's no place in the community that looks any better and has any more attraction than God's house. Why? It's His house, and we want to show our God to the world around us. I believe that's my conviction. Amen? These properties belong to God. And they ought to be viewed as belonging to God. But they, Joash looked at it and he said, I want to repair the temple. And so he took an offering to take care of the house of God. But look at something else that he did. Second of all, not only to repair the house of God, but second of all, to replenish the house of God. But notice verse 7 there. Again, it talks about how they, the temple had been pillaged and ransacked and whatever. But not only had they broken up the house of God, but look at the middle part of verse 7. And also all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord did they bestow upon Balaam. See, there was more than a building there. Inside that building were all kinds of things that they used in their worship to God. Inside that building were the tools that they used to sacrifice with. Some, the priests would use the furniture and things like that. And what these boys did when they came in there is they not only just tore up the buildings themselves, but they took the things that had been consecrated to God and they had took them away and they used them in their worship to Baal. So you find in verse 7 that the things of God and the furniture and the utensils and all that inside the house of God had been taken. So you read in verse 14 that when they had finished it, that is the building, then they brought the rest of the money before the king in Jehoiada, whereof were made vessels for the house of the Lord, even vessels to minister and to offer withal, and spoons and vessels of gold and silver. And then they began their offerings again. You see, they not only <clears throat> repaired the house of God, but they also replenished the house of God. They went back and got the building looking like it ought to look, they cleaned it up. I smell fresh paint around there. See all the things being done. Cracks have been sealed and everything is just right. It's God's house. The gold is polished. Everything is just right. And then they replenished the temple and they put back in the temple everything they needed to once again worship God as they had been so directed to worship God. So they replenished the house of God. Now let me just meddle here for a moment. Let me just throw out something here. Just to get, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody here that have any problem with money and spending money. I know a lot of folks, not here, I don't know other places, they think that money comes in to store it up in the bank and draw interest on. And I know there's nobody here that thinks that way. And so I'm, I'm talking about the other churches. You know what I mean. Can I get an Amen. And they don't. There's folks, some other church think you shouldn't spend a dime. You got to save it and store it up and whatever. There. Well, I want you to understand something. First of all, God puts money into this place to be used for Him. And one of the things that ought to be a priority to the people of God is to see to it that the house of God has everything it needs in order to do the work of God. 
and to put everything into it in order to enhance our worship and to enable us to worship and to give us the ability to worship God. Everything, like you take our music program. We put a lot of money in our music program. And I've told Rick before, anything you need in the music program, let me know. Why? They lead us in worship. And that's not only right, that's what we should do. And all the other things that we've added and keep adding here and keep putting in the service and putting into our ministries and things like that. That's the reason we give. In order that we might spend our money for Sunday school and ministries and material and equipment and all these things because they're a part of the work of God and to enable us to worship God. But they gave. And why? They gave to repair the house of God and to replenish the house of God. But look at a third and a final thing. Not only where they gave, in a chest, why they gave to repair and replenish, but look in verse 10 at what they gave. This is great. Look at this. I'm expecting all of you to jump up and start shouting here in just a minute. Verse 10 the Bible said, and all the princes and all the people rejoice. Now you notice that in all money. Verse uh, 11, the latter part of verse 11 said there was money in abundance. So where they gave was a chest. Why they gave was to make the house of God better. And what they gave was their money. And they put their money in a chest. All the people and all the princes, that is, all the leaders gave and all the people gave. Now, that's interesting there. You think about it. Now, look at it again. And all the princes. Now, I don't know a whole lot. Don't have a lot of sense, as you know. Now, I'm not the most educated person in the world. But I do know what the word all means. I've known that for some time. All. You know what that literally means in Hebrew? It means all. It means everybody. It means the young ones, the old ones, the big ones, the skinny ones. It means the, uh, everybody, all the people gave. Now, you can be sure on this day some gave more than the others. And some gave less. Some had more to give, and so they gave more. Some had less to give. Thus, their giving was less. But all the people gave. Everybody gave. Now, notice how they gave. Look in verse 10. You see, first of all, that they gave joyfully. Look at verse 10. I wonder sometimes if this was really a Baptist. I, I, they couldn't have been Baptists. For all the princes and all the people rejoiced. Now again, not only did everybody, I'm talking about everybody participate, but everybody rejoiced. There wasn't anybody throughout the week that said, Oh, no, there he goes again, taking another offering. That's all that preacher ever does is take an offering. When he dies, we're going to put on his tombstone. And the beggar died, Luke 16, 28. But there he is taking... No, they didn't anybody gripe about him taking an offering. The Bible said they all rejoiced. They gave joyfully. Giving was not a burden to them. Giving was a blessing. Someone has written once there was a Christian. He had a pious look. His consecration was complete except his pocketbook. He'd put a nickel in the plate and then with might and main he'd sing when we asunder part it gives me inward pain. Have you ever met anybody like that? But here the Bible said everybody gave joyfully. In fact, over in the Bible, it talks about God loveth a cheerful giver. You know what that word cheerful, it literally describes someone that is, a, someone that is hilarious. The best way I know how to describe it in, our, in English would be they act like a clown. God loveth a hilarious giver. God loveth a cheerful giver. They gave with joy. It was a blessing to give. But look at verse 11. Not only did they give joyfully, but they gave plentifully. The Bible said they brought much money and money in abundance. In other words, they brought all that they needed and the work of God was done. Now let me say this and I'm about through. Here is a great story of giving. People giving in a sacrificial way. People giving in a very generous way. They gave joyfully and they gave plentifully. 
I think about a church in Louisville, Kentucky. In fact, I'll be in Louisville, Kentucky this week. And the motel that the church that I'll be in, that they always put me in, is directly across the interstate from Southeastern Christian Church. I don't know anything, I don't know much about the church. I have read some of the pastor's books. I have listened to some of the pastor's tapes. But I have, it is phenomenal, the facility they have built there, right off the interstate, just across from where I stay in the motel. And a couple years ago, it might have been last year I was up there, I went over one day. It, they were in the process. It took them about two years to build the thing. So it's complete. I went through it. And I've never seen a church building like this. It seats 10,000, has three balconies. When you come into the lobby, it's, it, the lobby is huge. I, I, honestly, if you pass it, look at it and say, it looks like Hamilton Place Mall. I'm not exaggerating. When you go in the lobby, there are escalators that take you up to the balcony level that you're going to. It's humongous, spread there. And if I'm not mistaken... <clears throat> this, is their, this is their third relocation or second relocation. They had the original location. They got, began to grow so much they had to relocate to another location because they were landlocked. They went to another place of 22 acres and then they come out here. It's 100 and some acres and whatever there. But I remember going through it and the man took me through the building there and showed me and whatever like that. And he told me that day that their auditorium and a section there that does not include the youth facilities is off to the side or whatever there for $56 million dollars. You can imagine. Now, again, I don't know anything about them, their doctrine and whatever they're, whether fundamentally doctor or whatever like that. But again, I have listened to some of the pastor's tapes and listened to, read some of his books and whatever. And one of the things that's impressed me about it, about this, it's a humongous, you, you, I've never seen anything like it as far as the church facility is concerned. But as I listened to them, as I walked through that day and that fellow uh, was telling me about different things, as I listened to the pastor and and uh, read some of his books. One of the things I could not help but be impressed with was the sacrificial giving of the people. For example, one story I remember him telling about one of his books. It's a book entitled Money, How to Approach Money from God's Perspective. He tells about their first relocation and how they had, there was 22 acres of land that they found and they needed $200,000 for the 22 acres and $10 million for the facility. This was a facility that they moved out of. They needed $10 million for that facility. So the board got together and they began to discuss how they were going to raise this money. They had deacons. They have deacons and elders in the church. So they got together discussing how to raise the money that was needed. And one of the elders spoke up and said, you know, I think we can raise the money for the land just among ourselves. And he said, I think it would be a great example to the church's sacrificial giving if the families of the elders and the deacons raise the money for the property. And he said, I've been doing some calculating, and it comes out to about $3,000 each. And then Brother Russell, the pastor, said, he, the fellow looked around the rest of the board and said, now, is there any questions? So they all agreed and made the move, was voted through, and it was decided the money would be given in cash in the next meeting. And Brother Russell said, as we left the meeting that night, everyone I was in our heart was asking ourselves, what have we just done? Well, there was a, he, and, he, and he tells about it. There was not a lot of rich people on the board. There were a couple of school teachers. Many of our folks here are school teachers, and you know you don't get rich off a of school teacher's salary. Some of them were living off limited retirement income. Not a lot of rich people. But before the month was over, they began hearing stories of sacrifice. One of the men sold his house and got a smaller house. Another sold a second car. Some of them canceled their vacations. Others were taking out second mortgages. Three families borrowed $10,000 to give beyond what was asked of them. And so at the next month meeting, there was a mood of anticipation as everybody gathered for the board meeting. In fact, he said everybody was like little children. They couldn't wait to see what God was going to do. And said one of the men, one of the deacons walked in wearing sunglasses, carrying a cane, and holding a tin cup. And he said afterwards, I'll be outside shining shoes. And another and said, what shoes? And but they all gathered together. And after the pledges was counted, it was announced that the board had given not 200000 but $250,000. Another occasion, they were preparing for their present move. And again, you, there's no way to explain You'd have to see it. 
But on a Sunday night, just a few months after they had already raised a million dollars, they'd already raised a million dollars from the people. Because of a rise in building costs, they found they needed 400000 more than they originally intended. So they announced they was going to receive another special offering. Needed 400000 after they had just raised a million just a, few, just a couple of months before. So they received another offering, and again the people sacrificed, and they received another $340,000. And they rejoiced and celebrated that God had sent them in $340,000. But that night in the service, something unusual happened. Now, this church is very reserved. Pastor talks about in his book, he said, the people never speak out from the pews. Never. He said, about the most uh, reaction or any kind of interaction you get from our folks is when they clap their hands during some southern gospel song. But otherwise, he said, nobody says anything. We are very, very reserved. But the song leader was about to start a song that night and one of the men of the church walked up to the song leader and asked him if he could say something. And he said, again, nobody ever said anything in our church, and especially this man. But he walked up and said, can I say something? And someone a little bit reluctant, the choir director said, well, I guess so. And the man walked to the microphone and he said, you know, that was a great offering this morning, but it didn't quite reach the goal. That's not like us. He said, we're so close, I think we ought to pass the hat again tonight and see if we could reach the goal. But the Russell said, I got up and started to move to the front to walk over and say, Brother, I appreciate your heart. That's a fine idea, but I, we rejoice in what God's given us. If anybody's interested in giving more money, you can see the building chairman afterwards. But he said, before I could get to the microphone, the building cha chairman beat me to the microphone. And he jumped up and said, I think that's a great idea. He said, we don't have to start making payments to January the 1st, so if you want to make pledges tonight, effective January the 1st, help us to reach that goal, you can. He said, ushers, get the offering place. And they received another offering that night. Brother Russell said the choir sung a few hymns. About 15 minutes later, they came back and announced that the people had pledged an additional $75,000 and given $16,000 that night in cash. And stories go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. An auditorium that costs $56 million, all the educational facilities with it, the youth center connected to it, all the, everything around there, everything was a total project when they relocated of $75 million. And they did it through the sacrificial giving of the people of God. Seats 10,000, two services every Sunday morning. I'm talking about God's people giving. Learning to go beyond a measly little old tenth and said, I want to give something to God. I want to do something for God. Sacrificial giving. Do you realize that all churches doing anything for God have, have, have to constantly ask for money? And any churches that ever do anything for God, it will require sacrifice on the part of the people of God. Amen? What we're doing today, as you know, is our Chest to Joash offering. We've done something every year in the Chest to Joash. We do something outside one year, something inside one year. This year, we're doing the addition on the front of the building. It'll double the size of our lobby a little bit more. It'll add restrooms in the back. It just completely alter and change the whole front of the building. And the drive through out here that connects all the buildings, gets you in out of the weather and whatever, and uh, we're going to be doing a lot of few things, uh, drive-in or pull-in on the side here, and a lot of little odds and ends to uh, clean up things. All the woodwork around the auditorium is going to be redone, and, and uh, some of the front, the windows and doors on the front to make it more attractive to the boulevard and everything. But uh, the building itself and the job out here in the, in the wing or the drive-through out here is going to run somewhere approximately about $120,000. That's what you're giving for today. That's what you're giving for. And we're going to come by in just a moment and we're going to ask you to give. I want the ushers to come and I want them to cross the building. There's something else we want to do with you this year and we've never done before. But because the needs are greater this year than ever before and uh, because we have an amount of time, I realize a lot of times it's on the chest of Joash that it might be a time that you would want to give more but you didn't have that much to give on this particular Sunday. I know I'm going to give everything I can today. I'm going to give basically everything I've got in the bank today. And, uh, and, but there's more that I want to give. It's not anything like I wanted to give. 
and I want to give more, and I'm going to give more. So what we want you to do, and some of you to think about and pray about, is uh, the ushers have little cards, a simple little pledge card. It says, I pledge by God's help and supply to give $100 or $500 or $1,000 or other amount before September the 1st, 2000. And uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. There may be some of you that want to give more. You can't give everything today that you want to give, but you want to give more over the next three months. Uh, I want you to take a pledge card. And I want you, as you come by in just a little while, I want you to drop your offering in here, and I want you also to drop your pledge card. I have my offering. I have my pledge card. I have offerings that people have, that uh, had to go out of town. They have left me and give to me here. And, uh, but I want you all across the building. Uh, I want the ushers just to pass the cards out. You want a pledge card, just point at them there. They're just going to go there. Take one. I hope many of you will take one. And over the next three months, uh, you can take any figure you want. But this is something that you want to give to God and go toward this particular building project between now and September the 1st. So many of you, I hope you'll take it, pray about and this will enable you to give more. It doesn't limit you to just one Sunday. But there's a certain amount that I'm going to pledge to give, and I'll give a third of that over the, each month until I give it all by September the 1st. But uh, maybe you want to do that. That's one way to help you to give today. But I want you to give, and I hope you have prayed much about your giving, and we're excited about today's giving. All right. Aren't you glad? Isn't it a joy to be able to give to God and to give to God in a special way, isn't it? Isn't it a joy to be able to give? And so I want you to give today. Several things I just want to make mention of. Uh, I want our deacons to come. We're always the first to come in. The kids out here, I went a little longer in the masses than normal, met a little bit more than normal, and they're going to be coming. The kids always follow me. I go through first, and then the deacons follow me, and then our children come through. And again, I ask everybody to give. That's our members. If you're visiting, we're glad you're here. And we want you to enjoy what's going on. Visitors often give, but we want you to know that we don't ask you to give. But if you want to give, you're welcome to do so. But you're our guest today, and we want you to enjoy it. But uh, our kids will come through in just a moment following us and different things. We'll be putting in the chest of Joash offering today, and I want to make mention of this. And in honor of Michael Adams, this is Curtis and Dot's son, Era's grandson that went home to be at the Lord just a few weeks ago. And uh, the family did a very, very kind thing. They asked that donations be given to the building fund at Temple Baptist Church. And uh, there have been so many that have given. But we'll be putting in today, in honor of Michael Adams, $3,485. Let's, let's show our love to the Adams family. We appreciate them and everybody that gave. I want Rick to get the choir ready. And I want them to sing. Choir, I don't want you to sing like you're asleep. I want you to sing like you're giving. Amen? Stand. I want you to sing like you're happy. I want you to sing. I want you to blow it out. I want you to sing those $5,000 songs. Say amen. <laughs> but something I want you to get, I want you to understand this. This morning, I knelt and I thank God for every one of you. And I said, Lord, I know today due to my leadership, there'll be people that will give money they really can't afford to give. And I want you to know I thank God for you. But I want you to understand something. The, the story there, you notice that Joe asked, they brought the money and gave it unto the Lord. This is a gift to God. It will enable us to do something to God's house. Make the house of God, will strengthen it as Joash did. It will enable us to uh, take care and make the house of God even more functional as well as attractive. Our utmost goal is function, and, but it will also make it more attractive. And we're going to sing. I'm going to have a word of prayer. And then we're just, they're going to sing and how whatever Rick has. And, and then I'm going to come down here and go through first. And then you know how it works. We're just one section at a time. Enjoy yourself today. It's a day of giving. Give joyfully. Father, today in Jesus' name, we love this place. It has been my joy for 14 years to serve, almost 14 years to serve in this, with this body of believers. And we look back and there have been many victories. There have been many, many wonderful things, God, you've done for us. Tried to be faithful to you, tried to preach your word, tried to honor you. We've tried, Lord 
to lead this church to do what you want it to do. And God, you've honored it through the years. And we ask you today, Lord, just to bless everyone that gives. Lord, every little child that comes through, just like everybody gave in the story. That's why we ask everybody to come through, every little child, every member of the family to put something in. Everybody gave, all the people and all the princes. Meet the need that we have today. Father, may it today, what happens today, be a testimony of the power of God and a people that love you and are willing to give sacrificially. Lord, you know my heart. There was more that I wanted to give today. But Lord, you know my goals and what I want to give you in the next three months. Lord, I pray you bless everyone and meet every need now in Jesus' name. Thank you for the joy of giving. In Jesus' name, amen.